Well, for our many uh, distinguished guests, uh, I want to let you know that you are joining us in the middle of a story that we're telling throughout this school year entitled, The Story. We've been exploring what it means to share this great human drama from the very beginning and eventually we'll push even into the future. On this next slide, you'll see where we are in the series. We've paused a bit appropriately as we consider the historical significance of what Jesus has done for us. And today we look at the subject doctor, that is his healing ministry. And at the beginning of each sermon, we have interviewed a human being, often a student uh, like today, uh, asking a few questions that we might need get to know uh, him or her better and also to get to know ourselves a little bit better. And so I'm delighted this morning to have uh, a freshman here at Walla Walla University, Lindsay Hafner. And I have to tell you, a lot of maturing goes on in the first year as a student at Walla Walla University. In fact, I have a couple of photographs of Lindsay at the beginning of fall quarter this year that I want to share with you. There's one of them. Um, she was a, a bright star then. Here's another. Um, and uh, so you can see what just a quarter and almost two will do to a human being here. It's, it's amazing how much um, progress goes on. And we look forward to seeing what will happen over the next, you know, three years or so. Time flies. It does fly. Are you ready for some questions? Yes. Number one. What sound or noise do you love? Cellos. I like cellos. Cellos. It's a courageous choice today. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Two, what sound or noise do you hate? I have an ongoing list. It's actually a Word document on my computer of words that I dislike. Um, I'll give you sampling, in case you're curious. Ointment. No one likes that word. Succulent. Pulp. Moist. Moisture. Nobody likes those words. So those would be sounds that I dislike. Hmm. When friends visit from out of town, where do you take them to eat and why? Taco Bell, because I'm a poor college student. <laughs> <clears throat> Lindsay, if you inherited a large sum of money, what would be your first purchase? How big are we talking? <laughs> Dream. Well, in that case, I would take my closest friends and my family and I would just buy a bunch of plane tickets and travel the world. What quality do you appreciate most in people? I appreciate honesty and integrity and just full transparency. If you were a person in scripture, who would you be? Um, I really resonate with a lot of people in scripture, but I think a few for sure that are just so much like me is, um, are Elijah and Peter because they're both really sassy, and I appreciate that. Mm. And um, Peter also was really impulsive, and that's, that's what I'm like, and also... Um, he was stupid a lot, and I was, I'm stupid a lot too. I do stupid <laughs> things all the time. So um, them, and I also really can relate to David because he is really passionate about music and writing. Those are two things I love. <laughs> Who is your least favorite person in Scripture other than the devil? Um, probably the Pharisees because 
they just always stirred up drama. It was always unnecessary. So didn't appreciate that. What energizes you? Um, people. I really like crowds and groups of people, which is ironic because I live in Walla Walla, but the bigger number of people, the better. But we're very pressed together here, so. That's true. What makes you cry? Um, definitely the first thing that comes to mind is my dad's sermons, especially when he talks about me or our family in the sermons. <laughs> Gets me every time. Finally, what do you hope to hear God say to you when you arrive in heaven? You know, I don't, to be honest, I don't really care what he says. It's more about, to me, I'm just looking forward to making eye contact, giving him a hug. Or, um, it doesn't really matter what he says to me because his presence is really what I'm looking forward to most. Thank you, Lindsay, very, very much. Let's thank Lindsay Hafner for joining us this morning. <clears throat> So I wish to begin by showing you a picture. Here it is. <laughs> and now a question. Have you ever felt, or perhaps you might even feel this way this morning, like the weight of the world is more than you can bear? And so you feel stress. And so you sense your inadequacy. And so you know you are overwhelmed for the world, your world, is just too heavy. I want to show you some drawings that might bring to mind particular ways that this would be true. How about this one? Do you have a deadline approaching? A particular accomplishment and time is getting closer and closer and it scares you to death. Or maybe this. Parents can relate to this particular drawing. Not knowing whether you will make another step, the stress and the complexity of trying to raise children well. Or how about this one, those in school. Time's up, crayons down. You know you face that exam. That course, a particular set of knowledge that you realize you must master in order to accomplish the goals that you have, or perhaps even the expectations someone else has put on you, and you feel the weight. How about this one? I love this one. The never, ever think outside the box. This is uh, an owner communicating to a cat about a particular indiscretion. Maybe there's something in your life, something you've said or something you've done, and you don't know how you're ever going to live it down, and the weight is overwhelming. Maybe it's the future. Maybe someone has said something about the days that are to come ahead, and it has you absolutely stressed out, and you don't know how you will bear it. Maybe it's a, a misunderstanding of who God really is and you have a negative bent view of his good character and it weighs on you, particularly in the darkness of the night. 
Or maybe it is simply a failing body, a recognition that death is close behind. And there is no escaping it. Have you ever felt, maybe even this morning, that the weight of the world is upon you and you don't know what to do? This morning, for a few moments, I'd like to speak to our collective stress and anxiety and uncertainty. And I'd like for us to think about the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, including that of the first Christian community, where we find in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and the book of Acts several dozen incidences where Jesus or those early Christians are providing healing for people that are weighed down. I think of even one particular interest, that of the man Eutychus. He is listening to a sermon that will not come to an end, and he can't take it. He's exhausted as the Apostle Paul goes on and on. Finally, he falls asleep, falling out of a third-story window to his death below. The people rush down. They are devastated. What are we going to do? And then the apostle makes his way quickly, perhaps feeling a little pastoral guilt for preaching so long. And he drapes his body over that man, raises him to life. They all make their way back upstairs, and they eat together. They celebrate. A resurrection has taken place. What do stories like these that we read about in the Gospels and in the book of Acts mean to us today? How is it that they might bring healing even to our very souls? First, I think we discover that all of these stories of healings are predictive. That is, they are suggesting something. They are a bit of prophecy communicating with us what is soon to come. Notice the comment of Johann Lang, the German theologian, he writes, the whole category of the Lord's miraculous cures serves to exhibit the dominion of His Spirit over the flesh. Then get this, such foretastes, such foretastes of heaven make their appearance throughout the whole gospel story. The healings are a foretaste. The great hymn writer Fanny Crosby, who you may know, was blind famously penned, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. And don't you know that her own blindness and her anticipation one day of being able to see again must have been in her heart as she wrote these words. 1 Corinthians 15, but Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits, or we might say a foretaste, of those who have fallen asleep. It is a prediction of rich restoration and resurrection to come. Final example in Matthew 11, the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. A description of Jesus in the first century, but a window, a taste of something much more magnificent to come at that great day of resurrection in the future.
foretaste. Now, I'm not so sure that you understand yet what I'm driving at in this first point. And so we need to think about the implications of foretaste. And I'm happy to have some participants this morning who are going to assist in this process of tasting something. Uh, this is courtesy of one of my favorite little froyo, that is frozen yogurt joints here in the valley that's quite popular. And uh, what's intriguing to me is they have a little something called the sample cup. Are you familiar with this concept? The sample cup, yes. And I, we, I need some help this morning. Could you just uh, pass, uh, pass that around? This would be a good thing. And the purpose of the sample cup is not to try to consume as much as possible um, free of charge, by the way. Um, but rather, it's to give one a bit of a foretaste, right? A little bit of a taste of much greater sweetness to come. Now, When we consider the healing ministry, everybody doing all right? <laughs> when we consider the healing ministry of Jesus Christ, friends, and we read about sight to the blind and ears for the deaf and people could walk that could not once walk, and people, in fact, raised from the dead, when we taste bits of this sweetness in the gospel story, this is a foretaste, friends. This is a little sampling of something much larger and more dramatic than we can, that we can count on in the future. My friends, hear me this morning. A great day is coming where there will be a resurrection and everything will be made new. Our bodies will be destroyed and our bodies will be restored. Our lives will be made right. All of our pains will be made okay once again. The tears will be dried up. This is a foretaste. And so the first uh, sample of what we, might, what we might understand as we consider the healing ministry of Jesus is this. We can say with certainty the future is very, very, very wonderful. Enough, my friends, of worrying about tomorrow. Enough of the gloom and doom. Oh, those Democrats. Oh, those Republicans. Oh, the state of the church in the world. Oh, this conspiracy theory in that one. Oh, may we end the darkness, Christians, of thinking about the future in such a gloomy light. For resurrectionists, for those who believe in that great day when all will be made right, we should look to the future and say, hallelujah, everything is going to end well and everything will begin again in great glory. We read in this story a taste, a sweetness, of good things to come. The future is very, very wonderful. That might help you finish that project up. Second, 
we learn in the healing ministry of Jesus, nothing can separate us from God's love. Nothing could separate us from God's love. You may be aware that when Jesus arrived on the scene, he discovered that people would be eliminated from community if they were sick, if they were broken, if they had committed a particular sin. And this was all symbolic of the fact that they were no longer loved by God. To be removed from community was a sign that God was not okay with you. We see this in particular with lepers. In fact, lepers were a little bit like skunks. Uh, i got to show you one more drawing. I really like this one. This is, uh, <clears throat> this is Noah's Ark, and the skunks have their own little flotilla off to the side. <clears throat> this is what would happen to people who did not smell right. This is what would happen to people who were deemed by the community that they were outside the scope of God's good love and care. And when Jesus sweeps onto the scene and heals in an indiscriminate way Pharisees and Samaritans and tax collectors and rich and poor, even by accident when someone bumps up against him, healing takes place. As Jesus is healing all of these people, there is great significance, for in these healings is signified, God loves even you. God has grace even for you. Powerful. I love the reflection in a book called Ministry of Healing where an author by the name of Ellen White is reflecting on the rich healing ministry of Jesus. And she comes to this observation. Whatever your anxieties and trials, spread out your case before the Lord. Your spirit will be braced for endurance. The way will be open for you to disentangle yourself from embarrassment and difficulty. The weaker and more helpless you know yourself to be, the stronger you will become in his strength. The heavier your burdens, the more blessed the rest in casting them upon your burden bearer. Circumstances may separate friends, she writes. The restless waters of the wide sea may roll between us and them. But no circumstances, no circumstances, no distance, can separate us from the Savior. Greater than the love of a mother for her child is Christ's love for his redeemed. Human love may change, but Christ's love knows no change. I preached this morning for the first time from a Bible which belonged to my great-aunt Miriam, Aunt Mim. She was one of those great aunts, maybe you have one, who would show up at the family gatherings at Christmas or Thanksgiving, and she would always head for us nephews and would plant a big, juicy kiss on the cheek. You know the kind? Full of love for her family. 
had big opinions, big conversation, um, just a wonderful sort of person. Uh, she was a nurse. She loved to play golf. She had strong opinions about things. Uh, at the incidents of my birth, she gave me, and I still have it in my office, a little silver cup. And you can see in a moment why I like her so much. A little cup that said, says on the, engraved on the side, Alexander the Great. So you, you, you can see why there's some pretty strong affection here. And uh, just this uh, wonderful human being. There was one instance, however, where I made a flip political comment about a particular candidate she liked. This was over Thanksgiving, and she slapped me, actually. I have that, that memory as well. Well, I tell you the story this morning because this Monday, this Monday would have been her 100th birthday. She was born on March 9, 1915. And when she was born, little Miriam, her mother died. Three children in the family. Her father said, I can't take it. Passed out pictures of the family around church and farmed out the children to different homes. My Aunt Mim landed in a strong, uh, committed Seventh-day Adventist Christian home with very high standards about everything. But after a few years, I'm told, they didn't like the way little Miriam was developing, and they shipped her out of that house to send her somewhere else. So by my account, she was rejected once by a mother who died, a second time by a father who said, I can't deal with you, and a third time by a Christian family who said, you're not worth the effort. I have memory of her. Uh, she developed breast cancer late in her life. And I still in my mind can remember at her bedside under hospice care, there she was in agony until her death at the age of 76, this aunt. But one more thing I want to tell you about her. Until her dying day, she never had much use for religion. She never had much use for and had major questions about the Bible. And up to her last breath, I'm not even sure that she actually believed in God, certainly not a good God. But now I'm going to give you my conviction, and you can come up here and argue with me afterwards if you'd like, but I will not be persuaded. I believe that my Aunt Mim will be in heaven with God forever. I believe this not simply because I wish it to be true, though that is certainly a reality, but rather after careful theological reflection on the God as revealed by Jesus Christ, a God who is constantly looking for reasons to include people and not constantly looking for reasons to banish them, I am under clear conviction that a little girl, 
three times rejected and once in the name of God. A little girl who would grow up and die a difficult death of cancer. There is no way the Father in heaven revealed in the person of Jesus Christ is looking for a reason to banish that little girl. You see, my friends, why is it so often in religious communities that we are constantly trimming away on the edges of grace, trying to make it as small as possible to the point where perhaps grace is no longer amazing? Why is it that we so quickly wish to kick people out when we witness an example of Jesus who always is pulling people in? My friends, grace is big. Let us not damage the very beauty of what it is, that it only becomes a word with no real meaning or purpose in our lives. On that great day when heaven begins, I'm telling you, I'm going to play a round of golf with my Aunt Mim. And on that first tee, I'm going to slap her. <laughs> Just so we're even. And she'll probably turn around and give me a great big kiss. The healing ministry of Jesus. First, let us stop being negative and pessimistic and worried about the future. The future is very, very, very wonderful. Second, nothing can separate us from God's love. This is the message of the healings of Jesus. Finally, and this is where we get involved, let us love one another in nourishing fellowship. The healing ministry of Jesus brings human beings back into meaningful human community that they might be healed not only by God in heaven, but by other human beings as well. Bill Gifford, in his recent book, Spring Chicken, lays out the story of many ways that scientists are discovering what makes people younger, that is, what makes them healthier. Included in the book, a description of a resurgence in the scientific community exploring something called parabiosis. Uh, uh, this is the definition. Uh, a surgical union of two organisms allowing sharing of the blood circulation. So they open up two creatures. They attach them in a way that they will share one circulatory system. They will, in fact, have one blood and they see what happens. So, for example, they take a rodent, okay? A sick, weak, pathetic rodent. So, for the purpose of, of our narrative day, let's just call this the Patty McCoy mouse. Just hypothetically. Um, and then they take a second animal, a strong, vigorous, powerful sort, 
And for the sake of our little conversation here, let's call this the Alex Bryan mouse. <laughs> and what scientists do is they surgically connect these two creatures side by side. And the circulatory system joins together, one blood, and what they discover, particularly when they take a young mouse and an older one, is that the older mouse starts to experience tissue repair. The heart begins to become healthier. It basically is a winding back of the clock. Even neurons, which begin to separate with age, reverse their process in a very real way. There is a recreation because of the connectivity between two separate creatures sharing the same blood. And so go back, going back to our example very quickly, you have the strong, empowering with great energy the weak, and then huge transformation takes place, and there is a second strong creature along the way. Now, Dean Ornish a name you might know, a physician of preventative medicine who has done significant work over the last several decades, brings to light many studies that have been done, and I want to share a few of them with you. He takes a look at people who identify by saying that they enjoy nourishing friendship in life. In one study, this doubles the length of breast cancer survival compared to those who don't enjoy such friendships. Half the chance of death caused by heart disease. Half the chance of stroke. Half the chance of respiratory disease. Twice as likely to live three or more years after a heart attack. A quarter the risk of catching the common cold. Dramatically lower incident of addictions. Prolonged hospital stays. Premature birth resulting in death. And on it goes. Ornish comments. Love and intimacy are at a root of what makes us sick and what makes us well. What causes sadness and what brings happiness. What makes us suffer and what leads to healing. If a new drug had the same impact, he observes, virtually every doctor in the country would be recommending it for their patients. It would be malpractice not to prescribe it. On Wednesday of this week, I was having one of those days. I was tired, overwhelmed. The stack of to-do in front of me was more than I could bear. I was grouchy. I was sarcastic. I was not in a good mood. I'm sitting at my desk amid all these piles. My cell phone starts to flash, the light and indicator that someone is calling me. I notice the name, a friend I've had for some two decades... This is not on my agenda, not in my scheduled life. And so for a few moments there, as the phone continues to flash, I'm making a decision. Do I pick up the phone or do I continue to deal with what I'm attempting to accomplish? I picked up the phone. And so began at 3.01 p.m., and I have the record, a 28-minute conversation that was filled with glorious storytelling, laughter, appropriate sarcasm, political, sports, and religious debate, 
conversations about what we're reading and what we hope to read, adventures that we wish to go on, times in the next year that we hope to get together. It was a glorious 20 minutes, 28 minutes. I put down the phone. I was a new man. My stress had gone from here to here. My bitterness had gone from up here way down to here. And my energy level, which had been about as low as it could possibly go, all of a sudden I found myself bursting with fresh creativity and energy and hopefulness about life. And it, it made me wonder, should we be scheduling 28-minute conversations on a regular basis with people that we just love to become connected to that we might experience restoration and healing. And particularly in a Christian church where we have this little theology that we all share the blood of Jesus. We all share a common blood, a single heartbeat who is Christ. What would it look like if we invested in one another in healing? So let's go back to our question. There we are. Do you ever feel, perhaps even this morning, the weight of your world is more than you can bear? Consider this morning, my friends, the healing ministry of Jesus. First, the future is very, very, very wonderful. Enough with the pessimism. Enough with the worry about tomorrow. Let us set aside all the dark theories of what will befall us. For Christians, the future is defined by this, the magnificent resurrection of our world by the power of Jesus Christ. This is good news. Second, nothing can separate us from God's love. Let us stop attempting to diminish the full power and beauty of grace. Let it speak in all the ways that Jesus would have it speak. A God who has a much bigger circle than any of us in our small-mindedness can draw. And finally, let us love one another in nourishing fellowship. Let us be there for one another. Let us love one another this day. It is my prayer that you and I would come to know the glorious healing ministry of Jesus Christ in our lives.